We have a God who created our souls to do different things, fulfill different functions, and I'm thankful for that. But with those personality traits come some things that, well, maybe get on somebody else's nerves who isn't like that. And so how can we get along? How can we keep from getting on each other's nerves? How can we do it? verse 3 tells us here? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How can we be at peace? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, I'd like to talk today about why we get on each other's nerves. All right? <laughs> Let's just say it, all right? Why do we get on each other's nerves? Well, there's an explanation, and, and honestly, I, I said the other day, uh, the other evening, in fact, you can't change people. You can only change the way you react to people. Remember that? It's kind of a springboard from that. Now, we're going to talk about why we don't get along and why we get on each other's nerves, and it's, it's really something simple yet profound. And it's a principle, I believe, that we can draw from God's Word. We'll use as a springboard here, Ephesians 4 and verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now notice these words, endeavoring. That, that speaks of effort and an attempt to endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we are going to do that in our church, and if we're going to do that in our homes and down at work and amongst your rallies and neighbors, you're going to have to learn why we get on each other's nerves and what to do about it. So we'll be talking about that. Let's pray first. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you now, dear Lord, for your word and the light it sheds on things like this and help us now to listen carefully to something extremely practical and helpful. And uh, Lord, in this, this Bible study, we just pray now that uh, we would come to a conclusion that we can get along and Father, that we will overlook each other's liabilities. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to react rightly. We pray and ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a, uh, a plethora in a sanctuary this size with these many pews and hundreds of people sitting in them of, of different personalities and characteristics and, well, souls. Bottom line is we all have souls. And the soul is the real you. We call it the seat of your emotions. The body isn't you. That's just a motel your soul is living in temporarily and one day we'll check out of. But the real you, what makes you laugh or cry or happy or sad or whatever kind of ways that you have about you, and your spouse could tell us, your kids could tell us, you have certain characteristics and certain traits, that's you, that's your soul. It's the, the personality. And because we have a plethora of various souls and personalities here, we obviously have people who are, you know, quite just, others who are kind of more merciful, and some who are in between, and, and some who are kind of outgoing, and some who are shy and timid, and, and some who are uh, into knowledge, and others who are uh, into working with their hands, and whatever it might be, we're different. And that's what, what makes the world go round. And I'm thankful for that. 
Not everybody is born to be a CPA, and I'm one of them. I, gee, I couldn't crunch numbers all day and, you know, with a calculator. And, and others here, they, they make their living with a blue collar, if, if you will, and, and in, the, in the trades and the construction, and you have talents and gifts from God to do that. And, and I'm thankful for that. We need everybody from the politician to the man who picks up the, the garbage and, and, and works for the sanitation department. And, and God knows that. And I find it ironic that, you know, if we have all evolved, then why do we somehow miraculously and in, 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 in a marvelous way get all these people throughout the world that can fill in in all these vocations? And some love computers and some, they don't, they don't like them. They like something else. Because we have a God who created our souls to do different things, fulfill different functions. And I'm thankful for that. But with those personality traits come some things that, well, maybe get on somebody else's nerves who isn't like that. And so how can we get along? How can we keep from getting on each other's nerves? How can we do what verse 3 tells us here? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How can we be at peace? I'm going to tell you today why we have problems with people and how to cure those problems. And I'm going to state at the outset that having squirmishes isn't unique to us in this generation of Christian people. As we read the Bible, it reads like who, who's who as, as we read of Moses fussing with his siblings, Miriam and Aaron and, and Lot. Uh, fussing with his uncle and his herdsmen, fussing with Abraham's herdsmen. And, and even you come up into the New Testament, and you find Christian people who weren't getting along. Let's look at a couple quickly. One is found back in Acts chapter 15, or one scenario at least. And it's between two really good men, some of the greatest Christians of that day and age. In fact, we often say that when we get to heaven... You know, when we're receiving rewards and we're looking around for the Apostle Paul, just look up front from where you're standing, wherever it is, and you'll see him way down yonder there, maybe at the front of the line, getting rewards. Because, I mean, he's, he's as far as rewards go, he's up there with John the Baptist someplace. He was a great Christian. But who mentored him? And, and who took him under his wing and brought him along and, 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 and brought him before the disciples and said, hey, don't worry about him, he's okay, he's on our side, he's... He's been declawed in so many words. He's a Christian now. He's not soft Tarsus anymore. Uh, he's Paul the Apostle. That was Barnabas, remember? Barnabas, the son of consolation. So you have two great Christians, missionary partners, but they had a falling out. And we read it here in, in Acts chapter 15. It, it says, um, verse number 36, and, and, and some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now let me stop here and interject something. He also was, well, some say his cousin, some say his nephew, depending on how you read a verse uh, found over in the epistles. But let's, say, let's just say this is Uncle Barnabas. Well, blood's thicker than water, right? And, you know, Barnabas has known John Mark from the time he was a boy. He's his sister's son. And he wants him to succeed. Now, if you, you know what happened earlier, when they got over in a dangerous part of the world and, and the heat got turned up, uh, John Mark went home to mommy. And, and Paul didn't forget that. Paul's a, you know, he's a by-the-book guy. You just don't do that. You make a commitment, you follow through on it. Barnabas is the son of consolation. And this is his nephew. And so they're going to have a problem here. In verse 37, Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul, notice the contrast, but Paul 
thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. I can hear him saying, you know what? Um, we can't trust him. He wimped out on us when the going got tough, and he's not ready for prime time yet, Barnabas. He just let him stay home with mommy a little, little bit longer. And, and Barnabas is saying, no, I, I, I believe in giving him a second chance. God gives us second chances. He's learned from it. He's grown, and let's take him along. I mean, we don't want to discourage him so that he never serves the Lord. Paul says, no, right is right, and wrong is wrong. What he did is wrong, and, and so let's draw the line. And, and they have a problem here because they have different personalities. Are you following me? Well, it goes on, and in verse 39, these are sad words. And the contention was so sharp between them. Now, this is talking about Christian people. Not just Christian people, but giants of the faith at that time. Between them, that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And so as far as we know, these two never got back together again. Paul and Barnabas, the great missionary team, broke up forever because they had a falling out. Well, look in Galatians chapter 2, if you would. We find another two great Christians, Peter this time, and Paul, having a, a, a problem, if you will, an issue. And it's over something. And in this case, you know, Peter, I think, was in the wrong. And Paul, again, not about to let her go. <laughs> he calls him in on the carpet. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, we find these words. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to the face. I often picture Paul, the very name Saul means little, by the way. And of course, Peter, burly fisherman, a hulk of a guy. Paul probably standing on a stool and was standing him to the face. And he says, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, that is, up from Jerusalem, he, Peter, did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter's being biased and prejudiced and inconsistent, all things that get on Paul's nerves. Well, watch what happens. It, it, sin is never singular. I said that the other day. Verse 13 says, And the other Jews dissembled or separated likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation or hypocrisy. I have in the margin of my Bible written these words, preacher peer pressure. <laughs> this is pe preacher peer pressure. The big honcho, Peter, pulls away and the other preachers go, ooh, we better pull away too. There's one guy who said, no, this isn't right. It was Paul. Paul says in verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He goes on, he gives him some speech here, but you find out here they have issues. And, and why? Well, because they are different in personality. You know, there's a reason that we have problems in our marriages. There's a reason that we have problems among siblings, kids. They're different. There's, there's a reason we have problems at the job site. There's a reason why we have problems amongst friends. There's a reason why we even have problems amongst Christian people and, and church members, no less. Church members here. You know, we find uh, something in all these examples, and especially our text today, and it's the word strife. Strife. Why do people have strife? You ever wondered why Christians even have fallen outs? 
Now, we take for granted that uh, sometimes there are unreasonable people. We know that, but we should be reasonable. We have a reasonable God. He says, come, let us reason together. And, and so we ought to be reasonable, right? We've we got the same God living inside of us. But sometimes even Christian people, reasonable people, cannot get along. And we find examples in the Bible with Abraham and Lot, Moses and Aaron, Peter and Paul, or Peter and, and James. And somebody says, you know, and I've heard this and I smile when I hear it, why can't Christians today get along like they did in the Bible? Really? You, know, you mean like, you know, like John and James who wanted to sit next to Jesus on the right hand of His throne in heaven and the other disciples getting ticked at Him? being angry? You mean like uh, Paul and Barnabas? Or how about James? James and Paul. I think James rubbed Paul the wrong way. Uh, how, about, how about Paul rubbing Barnabas the wrong way? Or, or whoever it might be. Like those Christians in the Bible, they had problems like we do. And you know what the problem is? The problem is a couple of things. One is personality differences. We are really different, folks. The other is that we have assets with liabilities and people can only see the liabilities. They don't recognize the assets. We rejoice in a person's positive traits. And we, yeah, should, but boy, we poo-poo those negative ones. And when you get two people and they have certain personality traits and they clash, they're going to be, there's going to be sparks. You know, we have a couple of men like Peter and Paul. They were both leaders. And, and so they have a clash here in Galatians chapter 2. Peter's a, 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 a get-or-done guy. That's, his, that's his, his asset, really. We need guys like that. God put them on the earth to be the, 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 the movers and the shakers because we need to get things done. But with that kind of a spirit can come a spirit of being impetuous and kind of just, you know, running off at the mouth and, 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 and leaping where fears, where fools dare tread. And, and that was Peter. He was always putting his foot in his mouth and he was making mistakes. We want the strength of leadership without the liabilities. Paul was a leader, but, you know, in the process, Paul stepped on some toes, didn't he? And that's what leaders can do sometimes. You know, when you, when you gotta take charge kind of a guy, you're going to have some clashes with somebody else who's a take-charge kind of people. We, we like that, that boldness in Peter, you know, the sword and cutting off ears and the kind of a brash spirit, but he's going to make some mistakes and he's going to put his foot in his mouth sometimes because that's the assets and the liabilities. You know, we like a Jeremiah because he's the, the weeping prophet. He's tender-hearted and he's, he's, he's burdened for his people and we go, Wow, I wish I'd like that. And we love that part of him. But isn't he also the guy who got discouraged and he got depressed and he even quit the ministry? Remember that? And God had to call him back into it. Here's, here's the guy who's tender-hearted, and that's the asset, but the temperamental spirit and the you know kind of quitting and depression, that can go with that kind of an asset. That's the liability. You know, we find an emotional guy like David, and he writes these beautiful psalms. And they're songs, folks. He's the, the harpist. He's this, the sweet psalmist. I mean, he's, he's just all day long just thinking on the Lord, and, and he's, he's, he's an emotional guy. But with that comes quite often an up-and-down kind of a spirit. And even the adultery with Bathsheba, I think, was at a low ebb. It might have been a midlife crisis even. But here's David, an, an, an emotional guy, but he gets his emotions in the way. And I think you see the problem. We see the, the strengths, but we, we need to realize they come with weaknesses. 
and we need to, if you'll bear with this expression, accept the weaknesses along with the strengths, be they in your your spouse or somebody within the church. You know, the staff of Fargo Baptist Church has strengths and weaknesses. And I don't plug square pegs into round holes. I, I know the men and women who are on the staff here, and and I try to put them, it, 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 I guess, steer them to their strengths. And, and there are, there's, let's take a, a Brother Venom down here. I really wish somebody would, but no, just kidding. But you, you take a Brother Venom. He is, he is a, a brainiac. He is academic. He's a, a teacher par excellence. He's got all these good qualities. But he has some negatives. I, I, he probably isn't aware of them, but, but we all do, folks. Brother Wilson does. Uh, Brother Joshua back there. Brother Jared over here. Uh, Brother Brett back there. It, whoever they might be, we all have those strengths and those weaknesses. We, uh, let's take Brother Brett. He, he's not one to, to be front and center and, you know, doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, he's more behind the scenes. He's happy to do that. We've had folks over the years that, that love this spot. That's what they want. That's the place they want to be. And, and you see the difference? We're all so different. And we need to realize we've got to accept the strengths with the weaknesses. I was looking at the choir director smiling down here just a little while ago, and his wife sitting next to him. I'm sure she could go, yeah, I know his weaknesses, and I might as well. But, well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, if we need things like architecture work done and drawings and, and uh, other things done here, uh, he's very talented, and, and not just in those areas. But the asset carries with it a liability. And, and we need to basically take the package deal together. That's what I'm saying here. You know, I, I have tried over the years to learn one thing as a pastor to accept the liability with the asset. It comes with the package. Most of the time, you would not have the strength unless you had the liability. You know, you, you, you show me somebody who's creative, somebody who uh, um, it, it really is talented in that area and kind of amazing at what they come up with, but I'll show you somebody who quite often procrastinates until last second and, and somebody who is normally late and, and, you know, just a lot of things. You know that Einstein, brilliant as he was, had a time when he called the head of the university where he worked at and he said, could I have the address of Dr. Einstein? And, and the secretary wouldn't give it to him until finally said, ma'am, this is Dr. Einstein. I don't even remember where I live. I mean, brilliant people like that can forget their own address, forget their own phone number. It, it's an asset and a liability, and they go together. And, and we often say, well, I wish this person didn't have that liability. Well, they wouldn't have the asset if they didn't have the liability. You know, husbands and wives, and especially young couples getting married, they expect some kind of a, a fairy tale, perfect type person, and then they get married and they realize there's some glaring flaws here. You get up close. You know those two-way mirrors you ladies have? One way it's just normal, and then you turn this way, and ooh, you see every, every mole and every wart and every freckle and every whatever, every blemish. When you get married and you get up close to that person, and I hope some of you are listening who are about to get married, okay? <laughs> you are going to see some things. And you say, oh, my husband, he drives me crazy. Well, he will, but don't look at that. Don't focus on that. Because with those things that drive you crazy comes some real assets, some things that you're glad he has. You know, the longer you get married, or you are married, the more you know your, your spouse like a book. And I've been married over 30 years. And you really get to know your spouse. And, um, you know, maybe you've got somebody who, well, they lack initiative, or they lack 
uh, backbone. And you go, oh, I wish I had some of that. But maybe on the flip side, they're sentimental and they, uh, they remember anniversaries and birthdays and they bring you flowers. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, if you show me somebody that is, uh, say, stubborn, you say, man, I just hate their stubbornness. With stubbornness normally comes courage. And you like the courage. That's what I'm saying. You know, maybe uh, you've got somebody who is, uh, and I, I'm thinking of a guy and, and nobody here, but, but very spontaneous and just spur the moment, honey, let's do this. And, oh, and the, and the wife just loves that part. Woohoo! You know, he's, he just kind of out of the blue is taking me here, bought me that, or doing this. But so irresponsible. And it drives her crazy. I'm saying that's the asset and the liability. And to try and remove the liability often will destroy the asset. That's what I'm saying. You've got to take them both together. You take an apostle John. Where was he all the time? During the earthly ministry of Christ, there he is. He's leaning on them. He's, he's cozying up to them. He's asking them questions. He's, he's wanting to be close to the Lord, right? So is it any wonder that he asked the Lord at one point, you know, when, when we get to heaven, can I be right next to you? You know, we can poo-poo him for asking that, but that's him. And it, 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 if he wants to sit beside him in heaven, you'd expect him to. You would expect a Moses who takes on a Pharaoh to have some backbone, right? He's standing up to the most powerful man in the world at that time. Well, should it surprise us then when he gets irritated, loses his temper, and hits the rock? I don't think it should, really. We shouldn't be shocked. You can kind of expect a... Uh, a yes man like his brother Aaron. Let's just call him that. Here's Aaron. He caves in. He capitulates. He makes a golden calf. And he's going to be the kind of guy that wants to be everybody's friend and cooperate. But with that comes compromise. See what I'm saying? That is the asset and the liability. And we shouldn't be surprised if it goes that way. You know, we want a, a preacher who takes a stand and, and has convictions, but, but let's not be shocked if he's going to be unbending in other areas. He has to be. It comes with the turf. You know, if you have a, uh, uh, an irresponsible husband, for example, and you as a woman are, are feeling burdened and you're shouldering the responsibilities and running the finances and disciplining the kids and so on and so forth, um, Normally, that irresponsible husband has some other good qualities, like the spontaneity and so on and so forth. The assets carry with them liabilities. Look in, in Romans chapter 10. Let's get back to the Apostle Paul here. Paul, uh, here in Romans chapter 10, tells us what's on his heart. He had such a burden. It was huge. He makes some statements I could not make. He says in Romans 10... And in verse 1, first of all, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, that is the Jewish people, is that they might be saved. This is the biggest thing he wants in the world. He says, For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That comes with salvation. That comes with faith in Christ. And so he's extremely burdened about the Jewish people. You look across the page in chapter 9. In verse 1 he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. You know what he's saying here? 
He's saying, I, I, I'd give up my salvation if, if the Jews would just get saved. Would you give up your salvation for anything or anybody? Would you spend forever in hell for anything? Think about it. What is Paul saying here? I, I couldn't say it. I don't know how he could say it unless it's Christ speaking through him. But the point is, he has a huge burden for the Jewish people. Now, look back in Acts, just a few pages to chapter 21. Let's see how far this takes him. Paul has completed his third missionary journey. He's been out there preaching, you know, uh, the law has been done away with in Christ. It was nailed to the cross. He, he took our sin and, you know, it paid in full and you don't have to have all those rites and all that ceremony and all that stuff anymore. He gets into Jerusalem and the leader of the, the church at Jerusalem at this time, no question about it, is not Peter. It's James. And if you study closely the life of James, you find out he's pretty much by the book. I mean extremely by the book. Really into the law and all that stuff. Stuff the Jews, you know, the Jewish Christians eventually got over and weaned off and, and moved on, but let's give them some slack. This is a transitional period here in Acts. So here's James. He's still hung up on that stuff. Here's Paul. He's been preaching against it. They have a meeting, and, and James says, you know, <laughs> word on the street is, Paul, that you're, you're telling the people to forsake this stuff. Now we know that's not true, and we're going to give you a chance to prove it. And so watch what happens here in Acts chapter 21. He said that the people are going to come together. And, and so here's what I, you need to do. Verse 22. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them. What? And be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all. What? This is a bunch of Jewish ceremonial stuff here now. That they may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou keepest thy, thou walkest orderly and keepest the law and so on and so forth. So watch verse 26. Then Paul took them in the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Remember when Christ died on the cross and the temple veil rent in twain and he said it is finished and, and God in so many words thundered, this is the last blood. No more offerings, no more sacrifices, no more blood. And Paul's been preaching that for decades now. So what is he doing going back into the temple and offering up this offering here? Well, he shouldn't have done it. God breaks it up, thank God, before it took place. But I think the, the, the point is this. Paul turns around, he takes a foolish vow. Even though he had this huge burden for the Israelites, he's willing to do this to that extent just to be an example and, and, and kind of compromise his own convictions. He, uh, he got really pressured into it. But the point is this. Let's, let's, let's learn to accept people where they're at. Uh, honestly, in 1 Corinthians 12, we won't turn there to save time, but we find this expression, to another is given this gift, to another is given that gift, to another... And the point is, we all have different souls. And we all have different liabilities and different uh, assets. And I am thankful that God made the grizzled soldier to go to battle and the sergeant uh, who screams in your face and calls you a maggot and spits when he talks and all this stuff because he's going to be your best friend when you get into battle. And, and, and God has, has given everybody different souls to get the job done. If, if I might put it that way. 
And it's funny, the grass is always greener on the other side as spouses as we look at maybe somebody else's spouse and we, we pick out their good qualities. You know, you might have a husband who is a little on the lazy side, but at least he's fun-loving. See what I'm saying? And um, you, you might have somebody who's spontaneous and always gabbing and always playing, and, but maybe he's awful with money. Uh, there's going to be something that <laughs> seems to cancel out the other thing. And yeah, the grass is greener. You might have uh, a spouse who's a workaholic and, and won't stop and smell the roses and won't stop to talk and so on and so forth. But you could have a, a sluggard who uh, is a great conversationalist and, and then what would you prefer? See what I'm saying? There seems to be the assets and liabilities. The workhorse who doesn't smell the roses or the sluggard who's a great conversationalist and spontaneous. Take the good with the bad. We all expect just nothing but positive. And personally, personally, I'm not a stop and smell the roses guy. I am, if I'm doing a job, I dig in and I focus. And if we're going to fellowship, let's do it another time. And you might perceive that as rudeness if you're ever working with me. But it's kind of like, shut up and work, okay, <laughs> when it's time to work. Bottom line, and, and that's just me. Now, I could try and operate uh, on myself and, and cut that part out of me and, okay, I'm not that way anymore, but with it would, come, would, would leave the part that actually is, is the asset. You cannot normally cut out the liability without marring the positive. You know, maybe, guys, you want the, the, the perfect spouse who's the most beautiful gal in the world, but nobody should look at her, that kind of thing. See what I'm saying? You're going to have to take both of them together. Um, you got a wife that's loving and sentimental, and, and then she starts crying when, when she's emotionally bothered, and you say, oh, quit your bawling, you know. But that's her, and you're not going to change her. And ladies, you might want to take charge man who will take charge of everything but you, okay? And, and you will try and manipulate him to have your way with him, and he won't give in. Uh, you've got to take the whole package. Got to take the whole package, and uh, that's why many homes are on the rocks, quite honestly. You know, you want guys, a, guy, a gal who get out there and work like an ox and lead like uh, uh, Joan of Arc and, and uh, be diplomatic like a, a Maggie Thatcher or a Golda Meir. And, and uh, she comes home and she submits like uh, Mother Teresa and, and uh, she looks like Marilyn Monroe and she cooks like Aunt Jemima and, and, and just perfect in every way, okay? Like Mary Poppins. It's not going to happen. She might look like Aunt Jemima and cook like Marilyn Monroe, you know. But, and, and gals, they want this Rambo guy, you know, who will lead in every direction, but when he comes home, submit. And it just doesn't work. You want, you want Superman um, out there in the workforce, but you want Clark Kent at home. See what I'm saying? And it doesn't work. You've got to give in. You want a husband that will control everything, but when, when he comes home, you want to dominate and it won't work. You cannot have a strong leader without dominance. And, and what, by the way, that's why in every Scripture New Testament church, you have people who get disgruntled at strong leadership. But they ought to be thankful for it. Every New Testament church needs that. And when our backs are to the wall and we're in a battle uh, and, and we're facing the hordes of hell, you'll be glad for that leadership. I, I promise you that. Um, you can't have a liability without an asset. Provision often takes with it a possession. Wisdom often comes with opinion. Show me somebody who's wise, uh, knowledgeable. Normally you're going to have somebody who's kind of opinionated. Can you handle both? 
You know, show me somebody zealous. I'll show you somebody normally impatient. I'm impatient. I'll admit that. Um, show me somebody who's a real detailed person. And uh, normally I'll show you somebody kind of pokey, slow-moving, drives you crazy. But they, they're good with detail. Show me somebody who is <clears throat> fun-loving and in a chatterbox and, and great to be around and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I'll show you somebody that eventually is going to say something inappropriate and kind of, oh, you know, I, I, I went too far. Show me somebody who is um, optimistic, and I'll show you somebody who's quite often impetuous. Uh, somebody who is uh, holy is going to have to be somebody who spends time with God. And you ought to be thankful if you have a spouse who spends time with God. Somebody who has tenacity is going to have his times or her times of stubbornness. Uh, with spontaneity comes irresponsibility. And we could go on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking of a, a great, great, great missionary to uh, Mexico, who God used for decades down there. And there are hundreds, literally hundreds of churches down there. But I happen to know some of the men who worked with him, and they said, he's a hard guy to work with, and uh, very domineering, and so on and so forth. And I thought, well, that's good. That's, he got a lot done that way. You know, what we want is a bland leader. That's just not going to happen. What we want is a general milk toast, you know. And there are things that just don't go together. We're not going to get that. I want an, I want an emotional rock. It's not going to happen. You want a, you want a mousy lion. See what I'm saying? There are some things just aren't going to go together. We've got to see the, the bigger picture, especially in a church like this. God put us together as a church family to work together and gave us the strengths that we have, but with those strengths are going to come some weaknesses. And, and bottom line is we can't, pick the qualities and the characteristics that we like within people and spit out the bones. It doesn't work that way. You can't have a, a warm fire in the chamber of your gas uh, fireplace at home or your gas furnace without the potential of possibly being burned. And, and you cannot have refreshing water without the potential of being drowned. Um, you can't have a protective gun without the potential of getting killed. There are some things that just come with the other thing. And if you know somebody with a weakness, think of their strengths. If it's your spouse especially, think of their strengths. You know, I, uh, I am so thankful for my wife. She has her liabilities like everybody does. But she is godly. She is um, wholesome. She is tender-hearted. She is old-fashioned. She is hard-working. She is sincere. Uh, she's just. And, and uh, you get to where you know these things. And so you, you can take the liabilities as long as you focus on the assets. You know, you might have a kid who's like a dentist, the menace. And, and every home seems to have at least one if you have several, right? David Gibbs told me, he goes, I was the, the biggest imp you could imagine as a kid. I would have been voted most likely to go to jail, you know, as a kid. And now he's helping keep preachers out of jails and churches out of courts. And isn't that funny? He had all that potential as a kid, but he, he had some liabilities that went with it. And God can use those assets. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas had a falling out, and it was bound to happen. Barnabas is son of consolation. It just stands to reason he's going to want to give John Mark another chance. Paul, by the book, goes, nope, he messed up. He's not ready for the big leagues yet. 
and they had a problem because they were so different. Now, we have, we have folks in this church, I've known some of you for decades, and, and uh, I, I know what your weaknesses are. You know what mine are. I love you. You love me. Uh, we work famously together, and that's the way it really ought to work. I'm not saying, you know, don't work on our faults. Don't work on our problems. Don't, don't do that. Well, that's just me. That's just the way I am. No, I'm working on just the way I am, if you will. But I, I'm simply saying this. I've learned to take the whole package. I've learned not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we would all do well to go, okay, yeah, that part of them gets on my nerves. But, but look at these parts. Look at these qualities. Look at these characteristics here. In Ephesians 4, and I'll just quit with this. Uh, this is where we started again. In Ephesians 4, we saw verse number 3 here, which speaks of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The rest of the chapter goes on. It talks about the workings of a Scripture New Testament church. And then it closes with these verses. In verse number 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Can we get along? I think we can. God help us to see the bigger picture. God help us to remember it's a package deal. Every person comes with assets and liabilities. Let's remember why we get on each other's nerves and just work around those things. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.